Amen. If you, if you have your Bibles this morning, and you would, find 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter, as we are going verse by verse through uh, 1 Samuel. This sermon went a little bit long in the first service, and the reason was they didn't listen very well. And uh, as you know whether or not, when people are listening to the pastor and they're entertained, or not entertained, engaged, I should say, it causes a pastor to be excited. And when you're excited, you usually talk what? Faster. And so if you act like you're dead out there, I preach slower. And so uh, it's been good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen? Amen. I don't know if it was uh, as much a blessing to you as it was to me. The, the regular choir was wonderful, but wasn't that a blessing? Amen. And, um, and so we're thankful for that. I do want to invite you back tonight at 6 o'clock. We uh, will have youth and we'll have services in here. And you say, well, Pastor, I've got young children and, and what, do, what will they do during church? Well, we have a choir on Sunday night. And we would love for you and your family to come. And kids are welcome in the choir. If we have too many, we'll start a front row. And so we'd love for you to come back tonight at 6 o'clock. And, um, but today I want to talk to you along the same sermon series that we've been looking at, the danger of me, myself, and I. And the person who can do the most damage in my life is me. The person who can do the most damage and that and, and, and affects me is not everybody else, it's me. When my sin, when my failures, when my mistakes become what define me, I can do great damage to myself. Most of you have seen the movie, A Christmas Story. And in that um, movie, there is a character by the name of Ebenezer Scrooge. Now, just because some of you act that way, that's not your name. And in that story, he's visited by three guests of Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future. And he sees the things that have happened to him, the things that are happening, and how things are going to happen if something doesn't change. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but as I look back on my life, I have a lot of what if. What if I would have done this different? What if I would have made this choice different? Some of those are extremely good. Some of them are extremely bad. I ask myself, what would have been like to buy Amazon stock at very little money compared to what it is now? I ask myself sometimes, what would it have been like to not abandon my faith in my high school years? I ask those questions. What would it be like if my wife and I had never met because I was in that backslidden condition? You see, you ask yourself those questions. And if you're not careful, you will cause grief and heartache because truly God is in control. And what ifs serve one purpose? To undermine the fact that God loves us. Today, as we're looking at the life of Saul, we're looking at one of the saddest chapters in the whole Bible. And tonight, I want, this morning, excuse me, I want to read three verses with you that come from the end of this chapter, because I want to show you the ending that happened to Saul and how you can avoid having that ending in your life, in your marriage, in your relationships. 1 Samuel 15, verses 26 through 28, says these words, But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return for you, 
For you have rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. So you might be saying, well, Jake, I'm not a king, so I don't have to worry about that. Just because you sit on one throne in your house doesn't mean you're a real king, okay? And uh, you'll get that later. But um, today I want you to know that, that you're saying, well, Jake, I'm not in charge of a whole nation. How could that be? I want to say it like this. Your sin can end up robbing you of all of the joy and the peace and the happiness that God intends for you to have as a Christian. As a married couple, the sin of today could eventually lead to a marriage be torn apart. A church, the sin of today, the decisions we make today, can either be used by God to strengthen or tear a church apart. And so today as Saul is reaching for Samuel and tears his cloak and he says, the kingdom is no longer yours today. I want this sermon series to be able to help you to show you today that before you end up here, when your life is a mess, your family is broken, everything is overwhelming you, that God has given you a roadmap to avoid ending up in that position. Whether it's as a couple, whether it's at your relationships at work, whether it's your finances at home, whether it's your discouragement, your depression, your, your hurt, whatever it is today, I want you to know that as we watch the tragic fall of King Saul, I want you to think about two things. One, this could be any of us. Because many of us read these Old Testament stories and go, well, I would never do what King Saul did. Or I'd never do what King David did. Or I would have never done what Elijah did. But friends, I want you to know, but if it wasn't for the grace of God, so would I go. And two, you read these knowing something. God allowed them to happen and to be put in this book for you and I to be able to see the faithfulness of God and how we should have avoided this. How many times has someone told you something not to do, to watch out, you did the exact same thing and the results happened just like they told you they would. And you're like, oh man, I wish I would have listened. And so this morning, if you would stand with me out of a reverence to the reading of God's Word, we're just going to go through this chapter verse by verse like we have been. And hopefully today, you can make decisions that don't have you looking back saying, what if? Verse 1, Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them. But kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them and tell him, 
200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites, and Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havala all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Pray with me. Father, today as we come to this text, and Lord, there are some hard verses in here. I pray that you'd give me the wisdom to explain and clarity and according to your will and your word. I pray today, Lord, that your Holy Spirit, he would begin to work and move in the lives of this congregation. Lord, tearing down barriers and revealing things and drawing people to be saved. Lord, because I cannot do it, I cannot make it happen, only you can. And so, Father, I pray that you'd help me to say the things that you want me to say and not to say the things that I shouldn't. And we ask that it all happens for Jesus' glory. And in His name we pray. Amen. And so today, as we're going verse by verse, just looking at what the Bible says to us, today I want you to know that it's no accident that you're here. I had no idea months ago that when we started this book, that on this Sunday you would be here. I hope that you would be here. But I've pastored long enough to know that just because I hope for something doesn't mean it happens. Now, that's not talking about the hope that we have in Jesus, but in common situations. Things don't always work out the way I want for them to. But today, I really hope that you will say, because sometimes on a sermon like this, people say this, well, Jake, I'm just too old. My family's just too broken. I'm just too messed up for the decisions that I make today to change anything. And I want you to know today that if you are still breathing, God has hope and purpose for you. If you're still married, God has hope and purpose for your marriage. If you're still a part of this church, God still has a hope and a purpose for you. And so this morning I want to show you how to avoid having a life full of what-if moments. First thing I want to show you today, three things that I hope you'll listen. If you're taking notes, and I hope that you will, write this down. One, we must be willing to listen to God. We must be willing to listen to God. Verse 1, Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Do you know there's a difference between listening and hearing? If you have children, there are times that you talk that they hear you, but they do not listen. If you have ever been at work with someone, there are times when they hear you, but they don't listen. If you're married, there are times when you hear each other, but you do not listen. And in our relationship with God, it's the same thing. You can come into a sanctuary just like this and hear a sermon. You can say, well, that was even a good sermon. He's a fairly good speaker. Not the best, not the worst. You can come into Sunday school and say, I've heard a good lesson. But friends, you have to be willing to listen 
to the words of God. I want to show you two examples of that. You can listen and obey, or you can listen and forget. You see, before God wants to watch your family self-destruct, before God wants to watch your life fall apart, He wants you to listen. Listen to Him. Now, I don't know if you were talking to anybody in the first service, but the way you're listening today, this is going to be a really long sermon. But I want to show you the difference. Listen and obey. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 25 says this, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Hearing and doing. As a Christian, when the Bible tells me something, when the Bible tells me to forgive or to love my enemies or, or do all things without disputing and complaining, I know what it says. I know what my Bible says. But it's a whole lot different from knowing it to when someone cuts me off in traffic. Now we all laugh at that one, and we should, but it's a whole lot different. What about you know that you're supposed to forgive someone until they hurt you or the one that you love? Not as easy then. Or how about that we're supposed to trust God and not lean on our own understanding, yet everything around us seems to be falling apart. You see, we have to go from hearing to listening and saying, God, I don't always understand what your word says. Lord, I don't always understand what you're asking for my life, but I'm going to trust you and obey you. And Lord, know that you are in control. You say, well, what's the alternative to that? Listening and forgetting. Listen to what James chapter 1 says, starting in verse 21. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be... Like I said, I'm deaf in one ear. This one will be, as a Christian follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, I have to make a decision that, God, I don't always understand what you're doing. I don't always even like what you're doing. But I know, Lord, that if I will listen and obey, that you know how to take care of it. Lord, you know how to work out this situation in our marriage. Lord, you know how to work out this situation in our family. Lord, you know how to work out the situation in our finances. Lord, you know how to work out this situation at church. You have to get to a point where you trust that God will fight the battles for you. You have to come to that point. And that's hard. Because I don't know if you know this or not, most of us would rather do it ourselves. I'd rather fix this situation. I'd rather make this happen. And what God says is you have to listen to him. Saul listened. But yet he still ended up 
broken. So it's not just about listening. Second thing I want to show you this morning, if you're taking notes, and I hope that you will, we must listen to God because. Because He makes decisions based on perfect knowledge. How many of you have ever met someone that thinks they know everything about everything? And if you're sitting by one of them, don't nudge her or him. Okay? Most of us hate people like that. But I actually love people like that. And this is why I'm not being sarcastic. I'm being cruel. Because I love when something happens that they think they know what they're talking about doesn't work out and I can laugh at them. Now, I know you'd never say that in public, but I did. Right? Well, I know everything about underwater basket weaving. Well, then weave a basket underwater. Well, that's not what it really means. Well, I know everything about this. Or I know everything. And then in those moments when it doesn't work out, there's something in me that's like, how does that humble pie taste? Amen? But friends, I want you to know something. God has to remind me that I can be that way. You see, friend, pride cometh before the fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. And where you and I make decisions based on what we see and what we hear and what we think, God makes His decisions based on the fact that He knows everything. You see, you see me. You can hear me. But you can't know what's in my heart. You have no idea what I'm thinking about right now or feeling. But God does. And that's a scary thought. God knows every thought that comes through my mind. Every thought and emotion that comes from my heart. And so when God makes decisions and God puts His plan into work and when God begins to move and work in your life, it is not an accident. It is not a confusion. God already knows your enemies and their motives. God already knows your brokenness in your marriage and what's going to take to fix the damage that's been done. And so when we see here in this passage of Scripture is one of the hardest Old Testament verses. Because people who hate God and try to pick the Bible apart begin to say, see, look how cruel and mean that God is. But I want you to follow along with me as I try to explain this to you the most humble way that I know how. Thus says the Lord in verse 2, of host, I will punish Amalek, these four words, remember this, for what he did to Israel. How he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them. But kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. And this is where, for those of us who have read our entire Bible say, but the sanctity of human life. And God is a defender of life. How could something like this happen? One, this is not an ethnic cleaning, cleansing. This is not something where a national group of people, God hated them and wanted them to wipe them out. Alistair Begg says this was an ethical issue. This was not an issue that they were Amalekites. It was an issue of their sin. And so Christian today, I want you to know that the extermination of any group of people based on their ethnicity is a sin. If you were to stand up and say, like there's being said on the news today, that Israel is a cruel people. I want you to look up here. Israel has its military to defend its people. The Palestinians hide their military behind their children. 
There's a difference. And today I want you to hear that because the Jewish people are not trying to wipe out every Gentile on the planet. But many of the Gentiles are trying to watch, the na- watch, run, and destroy the nation of Israel off of the face of the map. But God says here, I am going to do this in a judicial way. There is a difference between your vengeance and God's judgment. And today I want to just slow down here because for a moment I want you to take yourself off the throne. And remember that God is not like us. God knows how wicked Jacob Gray is. And you might think you do. God knows how hurt and insecure Jacob Gray is, even though you might think that you do. And so what happens here is, God is punishing this group of people for what they did to the children of Israel. It's kind of like this. If someone murders someone or attempts to murder someone, the family doesn't have the right to chase them down and dish out vengeance. It goes to a court of law. There's lawyers, there's juries, and eventually they make a decision. They come to a verdict. And that verdict then has consequences. And what happens in those trials is you take evidence, you make the decision the best that you can, and you hope that you got it right. You see, when God passes judgment, He doesn't have to wonder if He got it right. Nothing surprises God. God knows why the Amalekites did what they did. God knew the hearts of the Amalekites today in this passage of Scripture. And what did they do that caused them to be declared guilty by God? They attacked God's people. And today I don't think that God's probably going to wipe out a whole nation for you today. But I want you to hear this. God knows those who are persecuting you. God knows those are out to harm you, believer. God knows the struggle that you're in. But I want you to hear this today because I want you to see why God makes this decision. In Exodus chapter 17, the nation of Israel has just left slavery. Hundreds of years of being slaves. They don't have an economy. They don't have military training. They are just wandering through the wilderness following Moses, who is following God. They just got to a place in the beginning of chapter 17 where they had no water. And they literally told Moses, you brought us out here to die of thirst, didn't you? And he strikes the rock, or excuse me, the rock uh, provides water and God blesses them. And this weary troop of group of people, God's people, are just going through the desert and listen to what the Amalekites do in verse 8. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel and Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Ur went to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hands that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. 
So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And listen to this verse. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book, the Bible, and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. You see, God didn't just pick this group of people and say, I hate these men, I hate these women, I hate these children. No, that's not how God operates. But God says this group of people have committed a grievous sin and there will be a punishment. I have six daughters, as most of you know. They were all in the first service over there and some of them were sleeping, some of them were awake. It's not just you who fall asleep during my sermons. It's even my own children. Two of my children are saved. The other four are not yet old enough. But, heaven forbid, if one of my children grows up and denies Jesus Christ and dies, that child will go to hell. It does not matter that that child's dad is a pastor. It doesn't matter that I have drugged them to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. It doesn't make a difference. Because sin must be punished. And friends, I know in a verse like this, it's hard because why does God pronounce judgment here, but then sometimes He is long-suffering? That's the decision that God makes because God knows everything. You say, I don't like that. I don't agree with that. That's why you're not God and neither am I. You see, I'm thankful that God didn't smite me the first time my blasphemous heathen self cursed Him. But there are other people that God has. And today I want you to know something. If you're here today, whether you are angry with God, whether you are not a Christian, whether you are saved, you need to know that God's given you another opportunity. God's given you another chance. So if you're here saying, Jake, I've messed up so bad, God couldn't love me. You're still breathing. God still will give you a chance. You say, Jake, our marriage is just so broken, there's no way it could be restored. If you're still here, God's given it a chance. You see, friends, there is going to come a day when judgment happens. But if you're here today, God has loved you so much that He's given you another chance. You see, in Psalms 147, God's Word says it like this. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. You see, I struggle to understand the periodic table as like, Alistair Begg says, but yet God understands everything. God created everything. And so in my walk with God, when I don't understand what He's asked me to do, when I don't understand what the trials before me are, when I don't understand why God allows things to happen to me that I would prefer didn't happen to me, I have to step back and say, God, you know what's going on. I hear this from men a lot, and I don't know why it's mostly from men, but this is what I always hear. I'll get right with God when I get old and on my deathbed. I don't know why that is. Women usually don't say that, but men do. And I pray that that's the case. And I have led, I think, eight people to the Lord on their deathbed. And so I know it happens. And I pray that God gives you that opportunity. But friends, what I want to ask you is this. 
Do you ever think about the damage that you are doing to the children and the family that you are raising from today until that day? The consequences that come from that. How different things could be if today you would just yield to the Spirit of God and say, I know I'm lost and I want to be saved. I know I'm not loving my spouse like I should. I want that to change. I know I'm not the father God wants me to to be, but I want to be. Today could change everything. You see, God's given you that opportunity. Listen to what Hebrews 4 Verse 13 says, and no, that doesn't mean your husband should make coffee. All right, Hebrews 4.13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to his eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You see, sometimes we think that we can hide it from God. Well, if I wear this fancy suit and, and it used to button, but it doesn't anymore. Um, if I dress up well and I carry my Bible to church and if I, if I look right and we hold hands when we come in, then everybody will think that everything's just fine. And what God says is everything is open and naked to God. He sees it all. The areas of your life that you don't want anyone else to see. See, I don't know about you, but this guy wears a lot of clothes. Because it's not a pretty picture, all right? But friends, I'm telling you, there is nothing in my sin-sick life that God doesn't know. And friend, it's the same about yours. Oh, your, 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 your neighbor might think you're great. You're, you're the person you're sitting next to at church might think you're great. But friends, I'm telling you, God sees it all, but don't be discouraged. He loved you anyway. You see, Jesus died for you knowing all of it. Every bit of it. Third thing I want to show you this morning. Not only are we to listen to God. Not only are we to listen to God because He has perfect knowledge. Even when God shows us His knowledge. Even when we plan and prepare. It does not give an excuse for partial obedience. Look what it says here in verses 4 and 9 as we try to quickly come to the end. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them into lame. 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, this is a different group of people that had had moved in together and they were living in the same area. Go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. See, God is merciful. He says, you didn't do this. This is not your judgment to bear. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites and Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havala all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Now listen. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. There's a reason that God said, take nothing home. You see, in this day and age, when you went to war, you wanted the spoils of war. 
That's why in Rome, when they would come back in, a conquering general would ride ahead and they'd have all the treasures and all the conquered generals and all the, all the, the people they had enslaved and they would march into town and celebrate, look at what we've done. And God did not want any of that. God didn't want the people that surrounded them to say, look at the Israelites and their military conquests. Look what they're trying to build. No, God wanted everyone to know that saw it, that remembered it, that read about it, to know that God judges sin and that God will protect His people. You see, that's the difference between you and me. I do things for my glory. God wants to do things for His glory. Today, if God's got you through a difficult time, it's so that you can give Him praise. Today, if God has worked a mighty way in your life, it's because God wants the praise. You say, Jake, why is that? Two reasons. God is worthy. And the second is, one of these days, you're going to meet someone going through with exactly what you went through. And you could tell them, oh yes, I got myself through that. That was... That was all grind and guts and boy, I really made it well. And that person's going to say, well, I don't have the guts and grind that you have. But when you walk up and say, I couldn't do it. But God got me through it. They can say, I don't yet know this God, but I want to. You see, friends, that's the change that can happen. You see, God doesn't want us to rejoice in the spoils of war. He wants us to rejoice in the one who wins the battle. That's why I want to close with this. The easiest way to self-destruct is when you win. You say, Jake, that doesn't make any sense. You are most dangerous to yourself in the victories in life, not the defeats. You see, when God is working and moving in a church, in a marriage, in a life, it is in those moments that we begin to get prideful, take our eyes off of Him, and can do the most damage. You say, Jake, I don't agree with that. Well, that's okay. I'm going to prove it to you from the Bible. In 1 Kings chapter 19, and we don't have time to read it because, like I said, you're listening very poorly today, but um, uh, it's just really slow. Sorry. 1 Kings chapter 19, a prophet by the name of Elijah. In chapter 18, he had met with hundreds of enemy prophets and they had put sacrifices on this mountain and God had called fire down from heaven and burnt the sacrifices up. They had destroyed the enemy prophets. Everybody knew that Elijah was God's man and that God was on the move. And in chapter 19, Jezebel hears about what happened. And tells Elijah, I'm going to kill you. And guess what Elijah did in that moment of victory, that moment of power, that moment of God's blessing? He ran to the backside and asked God to kill him. You see, friends, at the moment that you think you have arrived is the moment that Satan will convince you that you don't need God. You don't need church. You're finally wealthy enough to vacation all the time. Your marriage is better than it used to be. You don't need that marriage class anymore. You know your Bible. You don't need to read it and pray. You say, Jake, that's just one instance. Well, good, I'm going to give you two more. The second one is the instance of Noah. Noah had preached 120 years and nobody got saved. 
But yet God saved him and his family through the ark. Not only that, God literally shut the door of the ark to protect Noah and his family. They get off the boat after all of this time. And Noah, in this moment of victory, and this moment of celebration, and even though it's a moment of heartbreak for the rest of the world, gets drunk, gets naked, his sons are involved in this, and his one son is cursed. Cursed. You say, how could that happen to Noah? Noah was this preacher of righteousness. You say, well, Jake, those are Old Testament examples. I don't listen to them. Well, that's, you're wrong, but I'm going to give you a New Testament one. Peter and Luke 22 at the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. They're talking about all that's going on. And he says, Lord, I will go with you into prison or even to death. I won't betray you. And literally 18 verses later in Luke 22, verse 54 to verse 62, Peter denies Jesus how many times? Three. You see, friends, it's in the moment that your pride and my pride begins to be important to us. Is in the moment that we do the greatest damage. You see, what happened to Saul and the people? Hey, God's going to give us a victory. We're going. We've just seen all these victories that God's given us. But they got there and they saw the shiny things. Oh, they saw these, these animals that were perfect. Oh, man, look what we could do with them. Man, we could, we could offer them to God. We could, we, could, we could breed them for more animals. We could sell them. Look at this. We could be wealthy. Look at this stuff. And friends, it goes from God winning a victory to look at the blessings that I want. Friends, blessings are a wonderful thing. But they cannot be more important than the blesser. Friends, today I want you to hear this. Children are a blessing from the Lord. But the moment that your children become more important than the blesser who gave them to you, it's a problem. You say, oh, it's true. That spouse that you're sitting next to is imperfect as they are. And how you think they're a blessing is a blessing from God. But the moment that person becomes a bigger blessing to you than the one who gave them to you, it's a problem. I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for all that God is doing. I'm thankful for the blessings we've had today. Um, And I won't even mention them up here yet, but just how God has been at work. But I want you to know something. The more moment that you become a bigger blessing than he is. It's a problem. And today I want to warn you with that. Because today it's not too late. Today you can say, Lord, thank you for the blessings. Help me to love you. Don't make them. Don't allow them to become idols in my life that end up leading me astray. How many people used to be faithful in church but can't be anymore because the things that God has blessed us with have taken them from here? I'm not talking about pagan things, sinful things. I'm talking about blessings. How many times do the blessings in our life cause us the greatest burdens because they become what we're all about? And so today I want you to know that God wants you to choose life. God wants you to choose Him. 
In the book of Deuteronomy, and I'm going to read these, and then I'm going to close because I know that you're just listening slower today than usual, and I apologize for that. Deuteronomy chapter 30 says these words. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, and to keep His commandments, His statutes, His judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if you turn your hearts away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I will call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, what? Choose life. God says the choice is yours. Now God is in control. I believe that God is sovereign. I believe that God allows things. But friends, I want you to know today that the Spirit of God, if you are a Christian, is enough to make you today forgive and love your spouse. It's enough today to make you love and forgive your enemies. It's enough today in you to make you love God and want to serve Him. You see, I know these promises were directed to the children of Israel. I understand that. But friends, I want you to know that I believe many of those are applicable today. Today, God wants you to choose life. I believe when the Bible tells me that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? 2 Peter 3 verse 9. I believe that. I believe that when the Bible says that if you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be so today, I believe God wants you to choose life. If you're here today and you say, Jake, I'm not a Christian. I was baptized as a kid. I was sprinkled as a baby. I was, I was even baptized here. I've taken the Lord's Supper. I've done these religious things. Friends, I want you to know that it requires you to repent of your sins when the Spirit of God convicts you. Admit to God that you're a sinner and confess Him as the Lord and Savior of your life. You must be born again. Religious things will not get you to heaven. Being the child of a religious person will not get you to heaven. Being a member of a religious organization will not get you to heaven. You must know Jesus and have Him as the Lord and Savior of your life. And that's what He wants today for you. You say, Jake, I'm already saved. I'm not worried about this. Friends, you've got to make a choice. Whether it's bitterness Unforgiveness, pride, doubt, fear, discouragement, whatever that is deep buried in you that no one else knows about. And you say, I'm just going to carry this one. I'm not going to let anybody know it. I'm not going to let anybody deal with it. It's mine. It's mine to carry. And there's nothing you can do about it. You're exactly right. There is nothing I can do about it. But I'm telling you, there's someone who can take it away. There is someone who can take the pain and brokenness of your past away. There is someone today that can take your failures and mistakes that you are drowning in away today. His name is Jesus. Maybe you're here saying, Jake, I've just made a mess of everything. I've made a mess of so much. How could God ever fix it? 
I don't know how he can do it. I don't know when he'll do it. Or I don't even know what he'll do. But I can promise you he is able. And friends, whatever burden you are carrying today, whether it's self-inflicted, inflicted by someone else, maybe it's just, I have no idea. But I want you to hear, he is able. And here in just a moment, I'm going to be standing right down here. And if you don't know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, and the Spirit of God, not the words of Jacob Gray, are convicting you of your need to be saved, I want you to come. I want to open this book with you and show you that you are a sinner. That you deserve hell and judgment. But there's a God who loves you so much that He sent His only begotten Son to die for you. Christian, I know what you're sitting there thinking, well, Jake, I've been saved longer than you. What do you think you're talking about? I want you to know that I can tell you every single Christian can carry things they're not supposed to carry. And today God can set you free from them. Whatever it is. Maybe today you're carrying the regret of a grown child who's become a prodigal. Look up here. You cannot control your grown children. But you can control Bringing them to church, reading the Bible with them, praying together, discipling them, doing everything necessary as a parent to show them who God is. Maybe today you want to come and pray for someone else in your life. But today the choice is yours to either wait like Saul when everything falls apart or to choose this day life. Life for your marriage, life for your family. Life through salvation. Today is that day. The Bible says tomorrow is not promised. Today might be the last sermon you ever hear. Last opportunity you ever get. But yet God loved you enough to give you one more. Pray with me and stand as Jamie and Janice come. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for who you are and how you love us. Father, I pray today that if I've said or done anything outside of your word, Lord, that you would forgive me and show me but Lord I pray right now that you would do what only you can do Lord that your spirit would begin to convict and work and move in the lives of the people God whether it's encouragement correction salvation healing Lord, whatever needs to happen today let it happen and father whatever is hindering that in this congregation whether it's in my life or in others. Lord, please reveal that and let us deal with it. And God, I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Today, as you have been listening to this sermon, maybe you have been thinking, the Holy Spirit's been working, that I'd like to know more about Jesus. I'm not sure if I've ever been saved. Please reach out and contact us. We would love to share the gospel with you. Pray with you with whatever's going on in your life. Or maybe you are a believer, but yet you've got some spiritual battles that you've just not been able to conquer. We'd love to join you in that battle. So please, reach out to us. We would love and are waiting to hear from you. May God richly bless you in Jesus' name.